0: This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Avail helps AECO firms better manage, organize, and navigate information faster. Visit getavail.com today. This episode of Troxel is supported by Confluence, a small conference event for AEC professionals and technology providers to discuss industry trends and ideas together. It's put on by the fine folks at Avail. Learn more about the upcoming invite-only event happening in the spring of 2024 in New York City during this episode. This episode of the Troxel podcast is made possible with support from ArcIT. Are you tired of standard IT services that miss the mark? Choose ArcIT for specialized, proactive IT management, BIM support, and robust data security tailored for architects. Whether you're a team of 10 or a growing firm of 50 plus, ArcIT understands the architecture industry and will empower your unique creative vision to enable you to do your best work. Embrace a technology team that enhances, not hinders, your design process. Visit getarchit.com for your free IT assessment and start transforming your firm and your tech experience today. That's G E T A R C H I T.com. <laughs> Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. And before we jump in, I need you to subscribe, both on YouTube and to the audio version of the podcast, wherever you listen. It really does further what I'm doing here. This podcast takes a lot of resources and time to put together each week, and I hope you see the value in it. And to be completely upfront about it, the higher the subscriber count, the better the sponsors and partners I can attract. And for you, The higher profile guests are attracted to a larger audience, which means I need you all to be accounted for. 70% of the people watching this on YouTube right now are not subscribed. I can see it right here in the analytics. So if you're not subscribed, please hit the button in both places on YouTube and in your audio podcast app of choice. It is completely free to do so, and it will help the show be sustainable. In this episode, I welcome Andy Watts and Aaron Perry. Andy is the director of design technology at Grimshaw and leads the practice's global design technology team overseeing digital disciplines, such as computational design, BIM, extended reality, urban computation, applications development, and environmental performance. He is also actively involved in academia. He has taught at the Architectural Association and the University of Westminster, and has also lectured and critiqued at the Pratt Institute, Melbourne University, Dundee University, RCA, UCL, and others. We are joined by Aaron Perry, who has been the head of digital design at AHMM since 2015. With a passion for leveraging technology to elevate architectural projects, he leads a group of digital and strategic specialists within AHMM's digital design group. In this episode, we discuss the need for a next generation data framework for the AEC industry. Together, they are leading the charge, along with many others, in developing the future AEC software specification. The goal is an industry wide dialogue to create a modern technology foundation that fosters competition in the AEC software market. Not a small task by any means. Today, we chat about the journey that led to the creation of the specification the context in which the specification was developed, how architectural practices have re-evaluated their processes during and after the COVID-19 lockdown, the Autodesk open letters and the media attention they garnered, the changes being made by Autodesk as a result, what the specification is, Aaron's presentation of the specification at the next build conference, and you can find a link to watch that in the show notes, the reception of the presentation and other feedback since, how one could get involved with the development of the specification, and more. Overall, this conversation emphasizes the importance of industry engagement, collaboration, and the long-term process of implementing the specification to drive positive change in the AEC industry. This was a fantastic conversation with Andy and Aaron in person, and I hope you'll not only find value in it for yourself, but that you'll help add value to the profession by sharing it with your network. We have a lot of work to do, so please help spread this one far and wide. And without further ado, I bring you Andy Watts and Aaron Perry.
1: Welcome. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me. Great to have you. Thank you. And we've just met, we've spent some quality time though, together here at this the conference so far at the sphere, yep. which has been an incredible venue. But the reason we're here talking about this today, and we are under a little bit of a time schedule. So let's just get right to it, uh, to talk about the software specification. And maybe before we jump into what and why I'm, I'm way more interested in why, um, is, is how did it get there? Maybe you both can just a, a short where you're working. And what led up to this new part of the timeline yep. with with this with the written specification,
1: the presentation at next build. So I guess I can probably start by saying um, I was one of uh, a number of architectural practices that probably at the beginning of the kind of lockdown process in COVID, we were very much kind of uh, yeah looking at all different parts of kind of what we do, why are we doing it as as practices, and I think. Um, there was probably just a, a moment in time in which some announcements were made about access to tools and costs and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Which um, this this peer group tended to meet pretty often anyway to kind of share and collaborate what what was going on. And uh, yeah, just the right moment in time with everybody having a bit more of a, a kind of an opportunity or maybe the energy to um, acknowledge or recognise the kind of challenges that we were facing. Mm-hmm. That group uh, put together the Autodesk Open Letter. Mm-hmm. And this uh, is the
0: European open letter. Then followed later by a, a Nordic countries open letter, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, it had, uh, I think, at the time we didn't quite expect um, anything to necessarily come of it. Mm. Um, but it did, and uh, you know, we had some some conversations with Autodesk in in a forum, and uh, you know, some plans were laid out, and some some genuine changes were made. From Autodesk's perspective, was that based on
0: what I've heard? And maybe this is wrong. So, was there some surprise when they received that letter? That like there were things that they were hearing, maybe for the first time, or at least that was how it was
2: presented back. Or, well, I think what was quite interesting is, you know, it was put out there, but then, you know, some of the architectural media picked it up. So Mm -hmm. it was on uh, like Design. It was on in the Architects Journal, and that I think was surprising in itself. but I mean, I I didn't expect to be having conversations with Wall Street analysts yeah. mm. and that, two days later. Mm. Yeah, that was the other point is that, yeah, suddenly Im- investors were saying, actually, could we have a chat about this? Is this something that we should be worried about? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, actually with, with the open letters and even with the specification, I think we've been somewhat, we've, we've put it out there not knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. And so actually to then be contacted by you know, all these various people. And then actually there were some interesting conversations with Autodesk, which, you know, Aaron, new led on. So you yeah. guys, you
0: guys are just, you're architects, right? And yeah. I, we're yeah. used to putting stuff up on the wall yeah, yeah, yeah. and not knowing what to get back from it. Yeah. And I think there's large corporations where every single thing is vetted, mm-hmm. wordsmithed mm-hmm. and it's talking points. And so what I'm hearing from you is like, this is kind of natural <laughs> for architects to do that yeah. and, and, People who think differently than that don't expect yeah. architects to do that. Like they, they kind of expect it to go through a similar process, and you would, you would very quietly, and you would, you you would do these things a certain way. Yeah. And it's like, well, we actually
1: just put stuff on the wall. I I, I think I heard something to that. Um, uh, I don't, you know, I think the gut reaction from Autodesk was, we wish you had gone about this in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. And our experience has always been. Relatively collaborative with Autodesk, mm-hmm. but as individuals. Mm-hmm. And I think what was different that time is that this was collective thought. And so, um, the parties involved, actually not all of them publicly signed the I open letter. Heard that. So there were some really, really large firms who were involved in the entire process, but didn't necessarily want to put their name to it too risky. In, in the kind of first round. It's, it's, um, I think sometimes the larger your business, the more, your, your kind of PR marketing communication teams are kind of thinking a little bit about like sure do we want do we want this
2: yeah
1: um, and so uh, that went its path I guess is probably the easiest way to describe it and about two years afterwards there was a, a question about you know do we want to reapproach it and kind of say well what's changed in two years because two years is long enough for mm-hmm. changes to licensing models license compliance mm-hmm. um enthusiasm uh, right the way through to kind of maybe looking at differences in product roadmaps. And to, I, th- I think we kind of started that conversation and um, myself and Andy were having a bit of a separate conversation to that, to that forum. And I'd actually done a little bit of work to really set out what we wanted to see. And uh, I actually, if you're interested in the anecdote, I, I I wrote that on my phone on the way to the airport. Um, it was, it was just, uh, it was just thought and it was just kind of the, you know, this is what I think we would want. This is where we are today. But you've been thinking about this
0: a long time. These gears have been
1: turning and for you to just start to formalize it is now like. Yeah. So I think maybe as far out as 18 months prior to Mm. the presentation at NextEth, it, there was, there was a, there was a thing that existed and it was something I, I remember sharing with Andy at one point. And it, I think it changed our minds about how we would take it forward. You know, it wouldn't be us talking directly to Autodesk anymore. Yeah. It would be about us kind of saying, well, look, Autodesk is a player mm-hmm. to this game. Yeah. And we would want to make sure that, that we're setting this out to the industry. Um, and we benchmarked it with some of the people who had created and, and, and organized the open letter we benchmarked it with some european kind of counterparts and some some people in the nordics we spoke to the american institute of architects large firm round table mm-hmm. and the big practices there and kind of said you know are we missing something is, mm-hmm. does this make sense would mm-hmm. you add something to this or um and interestingly i think a lot of the reaction we got was we completely agree with this yeah. this is this is what we've been thinking about but never really put together i can't i can't tell you how many times having sat
0: in on that group um, for a couple of years, how many times we've come in with kind of this the way we think about something. Yep. And we don't expect others to have the same feelings or think the same way about it. And we are often surprised when there is total group like, yep. yep. We, we we're all in agreement. We all feel like this. And everyone's there's kind of like this sigh of relief, like, okay, I'm not the only one or or I'm not crazy. Right. Um and and it I think that it it that keeps happening. I think that's really interesting too and it takes that vulnerability of putting it out there mm. of a designer, right? To put something on the wall and say, like, what do you guys think? Yeah. And and maybe you have to defend it and maybe you have to justify it and maybe it can speak for itself. But it's like it again, I think this is a very architectural way to go about it. And, and I just I don't think there's anything really, really special about that. But I, but I do think it falls in line with the way we operate and yep. the way we think about things. And like the, this is a project, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's been many times on this podcast and my other podcast where we've talked about just stepping back and and taking, you know, surveying the, the landscape and then designing a way forward for ourselves. We don't tend to do that very often. We tend to do that for our clients all the time. And we get so stuck on providing that as a service for others that we rarely take the step back and, and do it for ourselves.
2: Yeah, I think we inherently, we're very reactive beasts, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're given a brief, we react to the brief. We're given feedback, we react to that feedback. And I would say that, you know, the open letters, when we did those, they were a reaction. They were a reaction to what we, we saw coming from Autodesk. And, you know, that had an effect. It had, um, it, it built up some interesting conversations. But I think, you know, we I think we were on the, the verge of writing another open letter. And I think Aaron and I on the side, were just kind of screaming a little bit thinking, no, we can't do this. So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, we put forward an idea to the group, which resonated with everyone that actually, why, why don't we move from this reactive footing of, you know, responding to one provider to actually a more proactive footing of saying, actually, can we, can we be totally open and say, you know, this is what we want. This is how much we pay for our software every year. If you if you tick these boxes, take our money. Yeah, you know, we don't right. want it for free. We want to pay for it, but we want to we want the best possible solutions. And for that, we needed to put forward our vision of what that best possible solution was going to be. And that's what the specification is, basically. Right. Yeah. I
0: mean, and so what's interesting to me is you've changed the the narrative to say, like, let's create an area for competition yeah. to happen, right? Rather than everybody capitulating and saying, well, there is the only, only one way to do this, right? No, there's actually, and there's so many startups out there. There's so many other technology providers who have been fighting and fighting and fighting to find ways to differentiate themselves or to be, be a main player, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's difficult when, when there's so much energy and dollars being focused into one Mm -hmm. entity to compete with that. And so by you saying, no, like, here's, Here's what we, here's what we want. Here's, here's how much we already spend. So there's, there's actually a lot of money there to be had. If you're willing to build that, take it, take the money like that. This is what we pay for and we're willing to pay for it. I, and I think this is also a shift in the, in the narrative a little bit, just a a nuance, which is, you know, architects in my, in my view are very cheap when it comes to this stuff. But when you look at these numbers, they're huge. They're, I think what Martin said, something like 70% of. The outlay of the IT is is for Autodesk of of their budgets for for a lot of these large firms.
2: Yeah,
1: it's a big number.
2: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think that's about nice right. And there
1: was a a line in the sand that was Next Dev, mm. and uh, Martin Day said, you know, we we next um, next build. It's an annual thing. It happens all the time. It's 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 appealing to a mass market. I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try something which is called Next Dev, and it's all about development. And I think he knew that since the open letter, more startups have come out of nowhere, more interest has come out of, of that, more money has been pumped into these, right. these startups. So I think he was right place, right time yeah. to put together Next Dev as a one-day conference of a room filled with 500 people who were billionaires, investment funds, uh, venture capitalists, all the startups some designers some architects some and yeah. engineers Etc it was a good mix and he said hey do you want to do you want to maybe present this uh-huh. um and there was a huge amount of time for us to
2: he set us a deadline but yeah that, that became <laughs> there, but that
1: became that line yes. of sand. guess what architects
0: are, are good with yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because, that's actually what you need to, yeah, to, to sure. do something
2: <laughs> Well, I mean this is it this is you know our and I and everyone else who was involved we've got our day jobs and they're, yeah. they're fairly significant Jobs, yeah, um, but actually to do this on the side in our own time. side hustle, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, we needed for the good of the industry, though. Yeah, we yeah. needed yeah. that focus point. We needed to say, okay, this is our this is our goal, which was June for the mm-hmm. presentation and then July for publishing. And you know, yeah. I think Martin probably saw that we needed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite good. Mm-hmm.
0: This episode is made possible with support from Avail. In a world where precision meets creativity, where every line drawn holds the power to innovate, people like you are shaping the future. But let's face it, in the realm of design, the unknown is your least favorite companion. You've been stranded on the island of inefficient software, lost in the fog of endless searching for the right content. It's time to embark on a new journey, a journey to clarity, efficiency, and design excellence. It's time to get off that island and away from the unknown. Introducing Avail, the beacon in your design odyssey. Say goodbye to the daunting 10 to 20 minutes wasted per search, the costly interruptions in your creative flow. With Avail, your team will zip through content discovery, focusing more on designing and less on searching. Imagine a world where you can stop constantly fighting the costly fires caused by pulling content from past projects, building from scratch, or relying on personal libraries. Avail isn't just a tool, it's a revolution for AECO firms. Organize, manage, and navigate your project information with a leader that's proven in reliability, relatability, and success. Join the ranks of the top AECO firms who've already chosen Avail. In just 30 days, you could deploy Avail and witness a dramatic reduction in costly design errors. Whether it's your first CMS or you're considering a switch, there's someone you should meet. Will Rouse, your guide to all things Avail. Schedule an appointment and explore Avail's capabilities, onboarding programs, and professional services. Don't let your designs be clouded by inefficiency. Clear skies are just a click away. Go to getavail.com slash stranded and book a meeting with Will to start your Avail journey today. Avail, where your best design is just a search away. My thanks to Avail for supporting this episode of the Troxel podcast. And now let's get back to the conversation.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, that, that deadline focused everybody. Um, we had some really incredible input from some amazing engineers and architects in the last maybe 30 days of the process, mm. which, um, probably added 20 to 30% to some of the work we'd already been doing. Um, and, you know, really, just brought in some some slightly different ways of thinking about things that I, I've been really grateful for, and I think really helped, and just made sure it was a it was a wider representation. You know, you talked about uh, you know the AIA large firm roundtable. Yeah, it's not uncommon in software development to be asked how would you prioritize this this list, and that was definitely something we 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 were doing towards the end. When, for example, speaking to the American um, group that were contributing, mm-hmm. um, I remember vividly one of them saying, "Well, you know." Existing buildings and responsible building design is interesting, but you know, in London you have buildings that are four hundred years old, and you know, and that, we don't that, have that over here. And we don't have that same challenge, so it might not be at the top of our list, but we can recognise its importance and we recognise yep. it. And so, again, that was all part of the benchmarking process: is to make sure that we were representing an industry, mm-hmm. because we knew that, and I guess we hoped that the the specification launch that presentation. Uh, would try and move the needle.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting just walking around here and at Autodesk University in Las Vegas, how many in preparation for this, just people are like, oh, are you are recording here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk with Aaron and Andy and talk about the software specification. Have you heard about it? They're like, nope. Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, that's, that's what I want to do with this yeah. is get this out to more eyeballs, right? Because I think uh, People just need to know that this kind of thing is happening and whether they want to be a part of it or not. And, and so, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little call to action at the end of how people can show support or, or get involved or things like that. But it is surprising to me with, even with the success of that next dev presentation and the LFRT's involvement from, from the US side and the firms on your that is still there's an air of like not knowing that this exists yet. And so, and so to me that I think it's important just to re to put this out there in the beginning is to say like, we can't expect everybody to, to understand it, let alone know about it even. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, and I think this, this goes back to things I'm seeing here, which is like everybody's drowning in information. Right. And, and to read a document, a
2: multi, how many pages is this document right now? Well, uh, it's, it's a few, it's, I think it's, you know, if you were to look at a PDF, it's about 16 pages, but, yeah. you know, it's now on a website. So it's about it's 10 subjects, is what we've kind of brought it down. So to. it's not
0: huge, but at the same time, like uh, getting somebody to read something more than a social media post now is really hard. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I remember Martin the day before uh, Next Step saying, Hey, you've got 45 minutes. And I was like, I'm going to need an hour and told, 20, maybe? He told me that. Yeah. And, and that was. Cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down. It was a very, very tricky um, because it was providing context to to some really major changes in thinking. And and, um, I needed to get the pacing right. I needed to get the delivery correct. I needed to not assume that people knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I was presenting to an audience of different personas from, Mm -hmm. again, venture capitalists, trying to understand why we need this, Mm -hmm. software developers who maybe had their own roadmap. And we were kind of saying, you might, you might need to change this. your roadmap yeah. uh, based on this. Um, and again, a bit of a call to arms where actually directly afterwards, we had main contractors walking up to us. We had um, engineers walking up to us saying, how do we how do we be involved? Mm-hmm. And I think it, maybe it's worth talking about the our objectives, mm-hmm. because yes, please. You, you could walk around S University and people may not have awareness of it. Yeah, And I guess that's always going to be the case. There's always sure. going to be people that, yeah. that weren't aware of it. I mean. We, we kind of knew that, and I'm not sure that our primary objective was for the global industry community to know yeah. about yeah. it. Um, I think from my perspective and it interesting to hear if there's anything else from from others, but for me, it was talking to that audience at that moment in time, okay yeah. it was it was influencing somebody in that room with a checkbook who was about to sign an investment round, you know, or uh, for them to understand that there is an industry out there where that industry is standing on stage saying, this is what we want and we want to pay for it mm-hmm. because I don't know how often that happens in automotive, yeah. Right. Yeah, you yeah. Know. right? And so that was a that was an an initial objective. I think we all know that nothing was going to happen a week later, mm-hmm. right? There was no big event that was going to happen to just magically achieve the the items and specification. This is a long, slow process. Uh, It involves changes in direction, it involves changes in roadmap, it involves projects being spun up, teams being created within different vendors. Undoing what they're already doing, in some cases, potentially.
2: Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think we, even before it was launched, we were having to think actually how we could Having to ante- anticipate some of this, I mean, I think at the eleventh hour we changed the name from the future design software specification to the future AEC software specification mm-hmm. to actually think. Actually, you know, this was put together by architects, but you know, that feels very limiting. Yeah, you know, we need to actually be looking at this as an industry, as a supply chain. Mm-hmm. So we did that, and I think we were pretty pleasantly surprised. The immediate reaction, you know, beyond those in the room when Aaron did his amazing presentation, was engineering firms reached out. All the major players within the UK reached out and said, we need to be part of this conversation. Mm. And since then, you know, there's been some contracts have have got in touch to say, actually, you know, this resonates with us. We've seen a bit of traction in the US. Um, We're part of a research consortium in in Sydney, in Australia, where they're actually using the specification as their reading list, Mm. which is fantastic. You know, it's funding 21 PhDs across Um, a range of subjects, but all trying to align with the spec, which it's amazing. But I think to your point about, you know, people not necessarily having heard of it, I think we're at this moment in time, we're like one or two degrees of separation from NextEv. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I think, you know, we we want to be reaching three to four to actually start to put this out a little bit further.
1: Hmm.
0: And messaging and communication needs repetition for yeah. people. You might hear it the first time, but it doesn't land anywhere. You hear it the second time, the third time, and it starts to stick. Yeah. And, but but I, I do want to go back to you delivering this in person to a group of you knew your audience, yeah. right, who was going to be there in the room. How much more effective do you think this was by delivering this in person versus putting up a, a post yeah. on a website
1: or something like that? Respectfully anyone can put something on linkedin yeah and it might get shared it may get likes and reactions and so on being in person mm-hmm. and being able to look people directly in the eye and create an emotive and, and yeah creating empathy mm-hmm. for for what it is we're trying to get across mm-hmm. um yeah we we literally had venture capitalists walking up to us afterwards and saying i, I don't normally feel <laughs> um Empathetic, or, or or kind of you know, yeah, a, right. you know, emotion to to some of the, the investments I'm I'm trying to make. You know, that's not my primary objective. I want to do that. I want to be involved in this process. I want to help you. Um, and again, you know, it, it has been lots of surprises afterwards. You, Andy talks about um, you know construction firms or main contractors. We the one that I always remember, and I won't mention their name, is somebody coming up to me afterwards and say, like, "We have a multi-million dollar enterprise agreement with Autodesk." And we we understand the limitations of what we can do outside of that. So how do we get involved with you guys without them finding out? You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a kind of uh, it, clearly people were, I think, more moved by the presentation mm-hmm. um, than maybe just reading just a you know a document online. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the writing uh, they, they say if you. Don't send something
0: in an email when it could be done over the phone because somebody couldn't read it so differently. Yeah, yeah. They could take it in a much worse way. They could take it in a much better way than you intended because it's hard to express through mm. writing, right? And and I mean that's one of the reasons we I do video even. It's yeah, just yeah. because and, and this is the first in person one. So Online. that's really cool. <laughs> but uh, but but this but this connection is better. It is different. Yeah. Uh, And, and I feel like, like, as architects, again, like, it's our job to connect emotionally with people through architecture, right? Like, that's what makes architecture architecture, even, right? And so I think, for you to have delivered it in a way that really speaks to somebody, I mean, again, this all falls under this my observation of okay this totally makes sense you guys being architects but at the same time like that's a different experience than people are used to seeing and so i think it that also helped make a difference just just presenting it in person connecting with people and and really having thought through it ahead of time to and cut it down and edit it to what you could to, to make those key points did make it an impression People that you otherwise could not have made, and so I, I think that wow, well-timed, yeah. well-influenced by Martin, <laughs> right? Uh, but all of that kind of is is working together to create the energy behind this
1: yeah, idea, absolutely. And I think you know we've we've curated the conversations we've had with software vendors afterwards. Mm. Um, you know, we we kind of expected that every single uh, startup. Was going to get in contact and say, I already do all these things, Mm -hmm. and you know, something to that effect. Um, But we have definitely found the communication coming from certain software vendors to emulate some of the language and some of the terms we've been using. Um, And so I think, I think, you know, they're all aware of it. Yeah. They understand it. Yeah. They've got into it. I've had one on one conversations and I've had kind of more formal conversations with different vendors. Um, I think they've all been grateful for this to exist. Actually, I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's been received in a, in maybe the slightly, possibly negative way that something like the open letter was was yeah. received as. So. Well,
2: I think, you know, this was a, always aimed at being a much more positive endeavor. Mm-hmm. You know, this is yeah not saying what we hate; it's saying what we want. You'll
0: actually get farther yeah. if you change that tone from mm-hmm. complaint to a what yeah. if kind of a
2: thing. Yeah, yeah and I mean. I think in the context of you know where we are this week as well. I mean, we've just come from the futures briefing, and it was interesting to hear that a lot of the language that was put forward as part of Aaron's presentation was actually shining through as part of you know what the roadmap is for for architecture within Autodesk, and that was that was encouraging to see because I mean we we, we talk about startups, but um, I think when we put this out there, it was very much with the intention that. We're looking to anybody to build this. With. Yeah. you know, we're not discounting the, you know, the, the Autodesk's, the Bentleys, the Nemetschs of the world. You know, anybody could be part of this. We're just saying what we need from our tool stack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's actually been encouraging to see that even even the the big players are starting to, you know, w- whether whether it's a, a conscious concerted effort or not, or whether it's you know through attrition, they're just kind of um you know they're they're starting to include it as part of their the way that they talk about it because because it was put together as an industry representation not just one or two companies you know mm-hmm. it's it's been a much wider range in conversation I think they're thinking okay that's a client base you know that's not just a client it's a client base who are saying this yeah and and it it's actually really encouraging to to see that coming through
0: well, do you want to talk about the document and just kind of give a, an yep. overview? I don't I don't want to go through it. You in I will link to your presentation and everybody will have to sign in to Martin's website to watch it, but it is yeah. freely available, and so okay. we don't need to rehash all of that here, but I do want to give people a taste sure. of what we're actually talking about here because yep. this has been a great setup for all of that. Yeah. And and why this happened. And so now let's get into what it is. I think it would be good. So just just kind of a high-level overview. Again, I'm going to encourage people to click on the link yep. and look at the 10 points. And then you actually have a link in there to also read the the document that, okay. said a Google Doc or something that, yep. that you've shared with
1: everybody to to look at. Yep. Uh, but so, so we'll, we'll do that. But go ahead. Yeah, so the specification um, uh, is a meaty, wordy document that needed some contextualization and you know some explanations between the lines and that's really what the presentation will do so i think to anybody listening to this and watching this there's those are your options you can you can kind of read it and you can also probably go and watch the the presented version of the same thing so the specification is broken into um a number of different chapters and Mm -hmm. and sections that are relative to, to kind of key areas and the primary underlying part of that is something that we make a reference to as a data framework. And so we we are talking about a centralized, cloud-based, cloud-enabled, um, you know, web orientated granular data at an entity component system level, where it is outside of any desktop application and it is not tied to a specific file format or file type or vendor, whatever that may be. And so you know, we made references or we made parallels to universal scene description mm-hmm. and how open and um, efficient the media and entertainment industry will become and uh, and already is by removing proprietary file formats that are kind of vendor locked or tied to specific applications, and you know, using that as a parallel to kind of say this is going to be really appropriate and useful for our industry, but actually maybe not the USD bit yeah. because you can still have multiple versions of the USD file um, and it's still an offline file it's that I'm file. kind of chucking right. backwards and forwards so right. um, we are talking about uh, a more equivalent of kind of a, 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 a github style environment where multiple coders are uh, compiling and, and committing their code into a central resource and central data and you know being com- the
0: project correct right. the
1: architectural interstructural into MEP into building it into operating it. Let's do away with application-tied proprietary file formats. That was just such a just a critical topic, which actually is referencing every other section within the within the spec. So, and what's the benefit to that? Just so, just mm-hmm. because I think, depending
0: on where somebody's coming from, when they hear that, when they hear GitHub, when they hear you know yep. database, data lake, whatever it is, versus file, like somebody could.
1: be hearing this for the first
0: time and what do you mean Like everything's a file right
1: yeah so I, i guess if if you were to look at your own workflows within your own business there's going to be a preference for you to use the right tool for the right job and unfortunately sometimes if you're a slightly smaller firm that means you might not always use the right tool for the right job. The tool you have. You use the tool you have <laughs> right. or the one that's easiest right. to move information, whether that be geometry or data right. w- within, within the ecosystem of the project. Um, the larger firms, the likes of a uh, Grimshaw or, or anybody else, they're more likely to say, well, we want to use the right tool for the right job mm-hmm. because we want to be a bit more creative and we want to, you know, yeah. think outside the box and they'll pay for. The specialists, the people, the tools, the plugins, the code, the 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 extra stuff that you can do to try and bridge some of those gaps, mm-hmm. but that is an expense, um, and and to some extent we waste a lot of time, energy, interest, uh, and money just just trying to solve those problems, which you know to some extent wouldn't happen or wouldn't be there if we had a universal. Data framework where information can be accessed by different parties in different tools. Yeah. And one of the one of the most amazing additions, I think, to the specification came from um, somebody who who helped us kind of audit right towards the end. And she helped us start to think about equity. Yeah. And to some extent, a lot of us are bound by expensive tools yeah. with a significant skill barrier to be able to interact with some data that exists that we're trying to to collaborate and, and, and co-produce. Now if you take away the application and you make that you expose that data in the web, that creates equity for such a more diverse range of stakeholders, small firms, large firms, um, people that just, you know, haven't got the skills to be able to open a, a giant model and, and and just to look at one package of information, like a, a door package, for example. And so again, th- this whole idea of moving away from, from large monolithic products and um, offline file formats where we're kind of chucking them over the fence to each other, yeah. um, which we used to do on a messenger bike with drawings <laughs> or USB sticks or the cloud. FTP. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but we're still chucking stuff at each other rather than yeah. kind of it all being there for, for us to collaborate on.
0: I mean, the whole idea of it being on the web, like that, that is the idea of the open web Right. It's yeah. like no one entity owns it and it, everybody has access to all of this information. You can create links between disparate pieces of info, like the whole idea of hypertext, hyperlinks, HTML underlies kind of a lot of these ideas, but we don't really see it like that anymore. Right. Like for some people, the web is Facebook.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so just as an example, but it's it's interesting to me to kind of go back to these original ideas of what the web are. And that's kind of what you're talking about here mm-hmm. with with like you're throwing code onto a server that describes at the object level, you know, with metadata. And that can be passed to any application that is willing to read to it, read from it and write to it. Yeah. And that could be any tool that you want to use. It could be the right tool for the job. It could yeah. be the only tool that you have, et cetera. Um, but it's going to be able to Communicate with this repository that consultants can also get into, so not just architects, but also the other stakeholders on the team, even owners, even contractors, everybody. And you don't have to have one piece of software to read it, mm-hmm. right? That's a that's a key piece of it as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's you know that's a critical piece that underlies this is that at the moment we work with you know silos of data mm-hmm. and you know, even moving between those, which, you know, as Aaron described it, has its own cost, you also lose a lot. You know, the, you know, one piece of software may not look at things in the same way as another one. So, you know, we were we were very much influenced by conversations that and presentations from from Greg Schleusner that from, you know, Next Build a few years ago where um, you know, he he's kind of, you know, planted this seed in our mind that you know can we actually just be you know talking about a single data format at which point you know our software products just become readers and writers of that mm-hmm. and that that becomes a critical kind of underlying part of the specification you know we're not looking for one piece of software because that's been a question that we've had repeatedly it's you know it, it's going to take ages to build this software that does all these things like that's not what we want we we want a series of tools that are that are nimble, that can actually do what we need, but they all speak the same language. That's, that's the critical point that we're looking at.
0: This episode is made possible with support from Confluence. Picture this, October 2019, Lexington, Kentucky, the birthplace of Confluence, a place where tech leaders, AEC product developers and practitioners came together for three transformative days. It was more than a conference. It was a confluence of ideas, discussions, and unforgettable social experiences. Since then, over 200 attendees have experienced the magic of confluence. I've had the privilege of being part of three of these remarkable gatherings, two in Kentucky and one in Orange County, each one a melting pot of learning, collaboration, and camaraderie around a topic shaping our industry. And now we're thrilled to announce the next regional confluence event. In April 2024 in the vibrant heart of New York City. This time we dive deep into the realms of AI and machine learning, unraveling their mysteries and potentials in our industry. Are you interested in being part of this exciting journey to continue the conversation to shape the future? Visit the link in the show notes for more details. Confluence, where ideas flow, connections form, and the future of AEC technology is shaped one conversation at a time. My thanks to Confluence for supporting this episode of the Troxel Podcast. And now let's get back to the conversation. There are people in firms who only want one tool. And then there are other people in firms who want their choice yeah. of using the right tool for the job. And and different firms are set up differently. But it's interesting to me to hear you say that. But there there are people out there who are like, Can't we just do it all in one thing? Yeah. And so and I also think of the small firms, right, who are yeah. who are yeah. less Fortunate to have the revenue to purchase all of the different things to do the design work that they want to do, but
1: but well, what you're but saying the, is it doesn't matter. The flip matter. side of that is those small firms don't need to buy the monolithic, right. really expensive product. Yes, if their only interaction with the data could be a lightweight tool that helps them, you know, integrate exactly what they need to do. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, coming back to what's the most common questions we get, probably the second most common question we get was like, isn't that IFC? Hmm. Um, yeah, good point. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so it, it is something that we've talked about as kind of parts of next steps of, of, you know, what happens around the data framework because we need to unlock that first before anything else is kind of achievable. So um, IFC has been around for a while. It is mature. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But it, in terms of a library, in terms of a, um, a dictionary, That multiple tools, multiple software, and all these startups have kind of said, well, where do we, where do we begin? Um, that dictionary, that library of, of, okay, well, in this tool, it's a level, in this tool, it's a story, and just that kind of, um, common dictionaries between these products. I think IFC is a great place for us to start. I think its challenge is that it is still currently an offline, you know, file format, basically, yeah, yeah, and so it's not quite delivering on the other part of where the specification gets into this this data framework because we need that to be web enabled. We need that to be cloud enabled. And you know, last ten years ago, when IFC was kind of evolving and maturing, maybe the web processes and technologies wouldn't enable that workflow. And so uh, we actually have meetings next week with with technical directors at IFC to kind of understand how we can maybe, you know bring this all together. Because the last thing we want to do is create yet another data standard, right? That that's yeah. not our objective. And there are a lot of tools
0: that that use IFC. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And, and for them maybe it might be a big mountain to climb again to to reinvent yeah something new or to impo- impose something new into their system. So if there is a way, if there is a way forward with that, it does seem to make sense at least as a place to start.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh to the rest of the specification. So uh, we then went into talking about hybrid compute. So, um, again, many of the tools that we currently have access to at the moment are desktop products that are uh, 10, 15, 20 years old. Um, I don't think there's a, a startup out there now that would be looking to make a product in the same way. Um, sure. Things change. Things change. Um, and one of the reasons that we're really kind of making a point to that is uh, post COVID. Uh, I think I first heard this quote from Andy, and it's all stuck with me. We went from having an office to 500 offices because everybody worked from home, and so um, you know the concept of being tied to oh I can only contribute to design or you know construction if I'm at a desk with a desktop computer next to my feet. um, That's not the world we live in anymore, and so. You know, we we talk about hybrid compute within the specification as as ensuring that people have access to information, they can contribute to that information because it's in the web on a hybrid compute platform. Whether that be still, I need to do loads of heavy lifting and I need a BC desktop computer under my desk, or I just need to review what my team has created. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that on my iPad. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to do that in the web. Mm-hmm. So hybrid compute for us was again built on the concept of the data framework, and because the data framework would uh, would be there, it would enable us to be able to move around on different platforms, different hardware, in order to access, interact, measure, you know, whatever that kind of um, that workflow that persona might need, they'd have the access. And those, those barriers about monolithic tools or the, the skill level required to be able to do anything with them, or simply just waiting 20 minutes to open a file to just read one parameter, right? Mm-hmm. The, those, those kind of go away when we think about hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, hybrid compute. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about context and scale. So, for us, what we mean by that is we are only going to now deal with even more quantities of data yeah. related to projects. It's like it's kind of hard to say I mean, you hate to say that, but it is
0: totally true. I mm-hmm. mean, especially when you think about it in this new way, mm-hmm. because now there will be the need to apply the metadata to absolutely everything Isn't so it? that everything can read it and write it. yeah, right. So it is go- only going to get more intense, correct in that
1: regard. And, uh, something just very simple, uh, the data footprint of point cloud laser scans mm-hmm. for existing buildings mm-hmm. that are much more of a focus about how much we can you know, retain of an existing structure. The data footprint of just the point clouds alone is ginormous. Yeah. And so we need tools that can understand a much greater level of context, level of detail, you know, being able to get right in there and seeing um, a much greater level of detail than we've had as a kind of a barrier today because the tool performance just drops off completely if yes. we're trying to achieve that level of detail. Um and so for us that was really about, you know, registering on people's radars that that, that this is a really important thing for us and that suggests the future is digital twins mm-hmm. of, you know, occup- uh, occupants and and owners of the built environment needing that level of detail in order to understand the asset that they're trying to manage and and trying to to exist. So yeah, context and scale is a big section. Uh, it then moved into um, designing responsibly. Um, so all the tools we use on the market today start from a white, blank, open screen. Um, the reality is, at least you know, for a practice like ours, who who works a lot in central London. Again, you know, we're dealing with existing buildings that are complicated, that are difficult. There's data that's already available about some of those, um, and you know, again, at least for my firm we spend you know months analyzing what of the existing building fabric can we retain to reduce the um, the carbon footprint mm-hmm. and at one end of the scale that might be some really light touch work and at the other end of the scale that's full demolition mm-hmm. and we're never at that end you know we're trying to find out okay sure how can we how can we make changes and, and implications to this project and to this building that will give it a longer lifespan you know, it, it's more appealing to the market who who will then want to to live or to work in that building, but also um, uh, minimizing the, the the impact in terms of uh, building fabric that that is just being lost in in the process as it's being demolished or maybe carefully being recovered. So for us, this was a big piece about how can we use the tools to evaluate the design process because not there's not from a
0: blank page. There's
1: not a tool on the market yeah. that understands how we can try and evaluate the existing condition, um, retain as much as possible of the existing project, but also reducing that kind of carbon footprint. And I think one of the analogies that Andy used quite a lot is, if I see one more architecture firm that's created their own embodied carbon calculator, I'm going to mm-hmm. go crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that exists because no software vendor on the market was in front of that. Yeah. And so many firms like They're ours reacting.
2: created them. Yeah. You know, we, we see that across a lot of the challenges, you know, interoperability. When we talk when we go back to talking about data, you know, everyone created their own interoperability processes. We're now seeing it with carbon. We're also starting to see it with a further point though, that, that Aaron I'm sure will come on to, which is the DFMA and industrialized construction, you know, the proliferation of tools around that at the moment. But that's a response to us not having those in our tool sets at the moment. Yeah, and. As
1: Andy says, the specification goes on to talk about modern methods of construction, prefabrication, off-site. and um, you know we we see uh, companies that are operating in that sphere finding it really tricky. and we see every other week, the media picking up on a yet another modular constructing company yeah. kind of struggling, et cetera. Now it is a very complicated issue, and there are so many factors in play. But the thing that really hit home for us is, Whilst designing a scheme, if we can have no context as to the constraints of any prefabricated or modular systems mm-hmm. in the tools that we're using, okay. we will continue to make things that aren't right. that buildable yeah. for prefab- prefabrication or off-site development. And okay. so we're forever just going to keep falling into the same problems and the same traps where we create something, it doesn't work, we go back, uh, or we try and ask them to make something, and they're kind of saying, well, we'll try, but it, it's not. It's not what this is designed for. And so a big piece here was saying, well, look, for the volumes of, of building what needs to be built and doing that in a careful and considered way, um, we as designers need to enable our construction partners yeah. to be efficient and to be effective. But if the tools on the market that we have at the moment don't even understand prefabrication, we can't reference a manufacturing level of detail uh, for a prefabricated modular pod bathroom, even in a residential scheme. We can't bring that level of detail into the tools we used whilst designing. We're forever going to keep making these mistakes. I
0: I can't help but think of two things as you're going through this right now, which is all the tools are based on the traditional ways of project. Yeah, correct. And that goes all the way through construction, right? So they're reacting to the way it's always been. And then there's a lot of talk here about the future of work and the future Mm -hmm. of technology and the practice. And at the same time, Andy, what I'm hearing you saying is like the the technology is also just reactive to the practice, even though there is so much marketing and promotion being put into the future of there is still like the actual tools that are being delivered are in reaction to the way we've always done it. Right. And, And so we are in this weird zone once again, where you by putting this out there and proposing what we need why we need it how it ties into all these different pieces including manufacturing including sustainability including adaptive reuse and data sets and like that's a game changer for how everybody's approaching this right it it, it's also in how architectural firms are approaching projects right because the landscape is changing not every solution is a new building right? but no. adaptive reuse needs to ha- needs mm. to happen a lot more and we need repeatable modular we need and 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 yeah yeah for for all of this
2: and yeah I mean that's also thrown into stark contrast because we as an industry have a huge responsibility and so we need to you know be able to do this a lot a lot faster and a lot more efficiently because you know I think there is a risk that you know some of these incredibly important considerations like um, sustainability and and you know carbon and things like that. They may be pushed to one side if we're not able to produce things as efficiently as possible. That's why yes you know there's a, a huge spectrum of things that actually need to be happening at the same time. Which was yeah. you know really in the back of I, I would say both our minds when we were putting this together is there is definitely a sense of urgency around this. You know this isn't just please make our lives easier. Is actually, it's like, no, we need to do this. We yeah. absolutely need to do You this have also. a responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I guess
1: that takes us into one of the final sections, really, which is uh, specifically about automation and intelligence. Mm. And so um, all of our firms today move on to that next project, bringing very limited, if not no prior experience or knowledge from the projects we've done before in the digital sense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we have those much more experienced architects that will move on to that next job and they'll right. know the rule of thumbs and, right. and you know, they'll know the, the basic parameters that we should be taking into account. But we all start from a white blank screen as we start that next project. Okay. And so, you know, part, part of the specification goes into then quite in, in a bit of detail about automation and intelligence. How, how do we bring through that experience? How do we, how do we augment the architect? By bringing through some of that knowledge on harvesting our previous, harvesting
0: that previous work yeah, to exactly. inform the next. Exactly.
1: Right. And one of the uh, one of the analogies that I think got cut as part of trying to save time for the for the presentation was, you know, we work on tall uh, commercial buildings in the city and. Um, You know, the analogy I always provide is that there's a central core to the building with a certain number of lifts based on how tall the building is. There's a certain number of restrooms or toilets based on the number of desks or, you know, the headcount that you might have on that floor plate. And sometimes we might get a question from our client saying, Oh, hey, what about if we did something special with the massing? And, you know, could we, could we get a bit more out of this in terms of interior area? And, you know, the most experienced architect on the project knows. That if you make the building slightly bigger, you now need more toilets, which means the cores bigger, which you actually a deficit floor area. Yeah, but only the most experienced architect in that team knows that. Right. Everybody else is now spending two weeks trying to do the analysis and the study and recreate. Everyone else things. says yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> without thinking.
1: Yeah. So you know how do we how do we retain that experience and that knowledge mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. configurators or through tools on a kind of project by project basis? And so that's what we're talking about when we when we talk about things like automation intelligence, mm-hmm. but also um, mundane, repetitive processes. I think I think back to uh, you that's know we most of what we do. Yeah, <laughs> that's unfortunately <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I I think back to when you know, we we were involved in the process of moving people from two D CAD to 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 three D object based modelling. Mm-hmm um and i've always annoyed a few people with this analogy but you know moving from the drawing board to 2d cad whilst you know it was different you were still drawing exactly what you wanted to see mm-hmm. and when you moved over to object based modeling you kind of had everything presented in front of you and then you were trying to control the you know what you did or didn't want to see and you know i don't think there's an architect now that looks back to manually having to create door schedules and itemizing every single door by looking at a plan and then updating it on an elevation and then updating it on a on a, on a uh, you know spreadsheet. Right. I don't think anybody looks back at that and going, ah, I miss those days. Right. But at the time, people were saying, oh, we might need less staff because these is all automated now. And so that that's kind of always been part of when we talk about automation intelligence is saying, well, do you want to study for seven years and get in a significant amount of debt to join an architecture practice? to manually do something we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times right. before or would you rather join an architectural practice and be creative and and have an opportunity to improve design yeah the value of an architect is what you're talking about yeah and we
0: sell that short so often because of the needs of production
2: and yeah. the tools are are the, the problem here when yeah. it comes to that i think the nature of the the nature of where we've got to, and you know, to, I think digital comes into this a huge amount, is, you know, the tools we use, you know, a ridiculous percentage of our time is on documentation. I'd say there's then another decent proportion of the remaining time is on actually moving data around. And there's probably a very thin sliver, sliver of our time, which is actually on design, ideation, right. analysis. Right. The things that we that you associate with the role of an architect, the role of an engineer and i think that we really need to change that pie chart of time well we're actually
0: incentivized to spend less of it on a project than yeah than we should i just put it generally yeah. right it's like because our fees are the lowest fees i mean and i'm not talking about every firm obviously there's mm-hmm. some firms yeah. that are killing it in this regard right <laughs> but then there's other ones who are like they're really competing on hours yeah and so you're incentivized to spend less time on it right yeah. and so to only have a sliver of time to to provide the value of what we do on a project because we compete on drawing yeah it if you step back and you survey the landscape that does not make sense yeah it doesn't make sense at all
1: because and, the value is not there and one thing we we didn't want to do with the specification is uh really confuse or, or, or turn everybody upside down, but you know, Afterwards and after the fact, we can have this conversation. But the entire value proposition in architecture is broken, mm-hmm. and and it will be something that that the whole industry will need to address. We'll need to leave our pride at the door, mm-hmm. and we'll need to have a serious conversation that, if we can bring automation through to mundane processes, we can deliver projects in a more efficient and effective way. We'll be billing less hours, yeah. and if you do bill by the hour, and all of a sudden you know your drawing production is is. 45 minutes how do you charge by the hour mm-hmm. and so we need to have a completely different conversation about how we as businesses work um to some extent and again without trying to to even further confuse anybody or, or cause concern the data framework we're moving information between yeah. different stakeholders i might have somebody at the moment that i'm working with who's helping me with a internal door package and they build doors and, and they're, they're going to be the party we move forward with And right now, at least in my experience, everything is about risk mitigation. It's about how do we bring construction package experts in earlier so that we can avoid costly mistakes later and we can kind of design around them and design them out. And so, again, using this analogy of this uh, this subcontractor I might be working with on on the door production, if I can exchange just the data they need about a package of doors so they can see the geometric representation, the parametric constraints of those items, and then the, the sort of specification of those in terms of acoustics or fire, if they can have access to just those data points, they can co-author that with me and, and commit that back to me, and I'm accepting that change. Do I need to do 300 drawings? Right.
2: Yeah.
0: I've had this conversation with Adam Wilbrecht at Concert, which is like a blockchain for AEC, smart yeah. contract kind of stuff. And, and he, this whole idea of, what's the intent of me sending this package to you? If, if you're a, a door subcontractor, I'm sending it to you for this reason, to, to look at the doors. Mm. But I'm going to send you more of the project than just the doors, right? There's context involved yeah. for you to understand it. But for us to granularize the reason why we're sending it to you and what we're sending to you and why and for who and by when do I need a response, these are the kinds of things that all are completely different to the process today or maybe even future state like what we what we see as possible than what we're currently dealing with right because now we just chuck models over the fence right the whole thing and then it's left to the engineer to sort through it and see what changed try to figure that out now there are more sophisticated ways that people are operating but for the most part i would say that 80 percent is probably like that it's like we said we'd publish the model every friday here you go and it's like, good luck figuring out what what we did, because we don't even want to we don't even have, to have time to talk to people and tell them. Right. So it is interesting to me to think about, like, again, if you're if you're starting over, you're starting from scratch, if you're starting now and you want to design software for the way that we want to work, we're actually prescribing even what is what how we want to work in the near future or the, the future, even maybe farther out. But
2: we can see the value in having those tools that will enable us to work like that. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think we've all seen it. Whether it's the end of the stage or whether it's a tender or whatever, when you know you send over your package of information, and it's then just, you know, the next party will just start from scratch again. Yeah. So, you know, a huge amount of work has been done up to that point. Huge amount of valuable work, um, and so actually being able to access, you know, the the version, the the decision history behind a lot of these points, you then actually, you know. Increase the efficiency so much as part of that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's worthwhile saying with you know the automation intelligence piece. I don't think we can talk about that without mentioning what we've heard so much about this week, which is AI. And I think you know we're still trying to understand what that means for us. You know, I think AI is often maybe misused as a term, you know, it can be used in place of automation. It's used like interchangeably that. exactly with automation, it but, seems. But I think one thing that we put forward is not necessarily we need AI in everything. It's more we need we need data to be accessible and, you know, in a way that we can actually leave the door open for a responsible use of AI at the appropriate time. Well, getting back to the specification, what we
0: need is we We need to say, this is what we need, yeah. And then we figure out the tool to do it. We don't. We don't just say, what are we going to use AI for? We actually need to define the business case first, and then define the tool stack that will help us achieve that. And AI may or may not be a part of that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. It doesn't need to be everywhere, but it does need to be able to play with this. Exactly. It
2: needs to be a a piece of the sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we've we left it as leave the door open for AI. Don't, you know, build an entire tool chain that suddenly we're like, oh, we need to completely reconfigure.
0: Well, and and this gets back to the whole underlying premise of this, you know, what, what would you, what's, what are the words that you're calling this? Like where the repository, right? Is it, is it a, data framework is that what we're calling it? It,
1: it it we uh we alternated between a data bridge data lakes data sewer. you know yeah. it, it, we, again we're not trying to recreate something we just yeah. needed to make it obvious what we were making a reference to and so we have been calling it the data framework um it's been really interesting this week to hear Autodesk talk about the data model yes yeah um and and uh, but it's Autodesk's data model. Uh, it's not something that perhaps is completely and utterly universal to, to all stakeholders Open. Um, yeah. and so I think that's the difference as to kind of maybe where we find ourselves at the moment
0: yeah, yeah. and I just bring it up because it is important to start there right mm-hmm. and and if you uh, this brings structure to data across the industry as an idea yep. and for AI to play with it well it has to have that as well right mm-hmm. and so it, it it's fundamental to start there for everybody to build on top of that
2: yep I, th- I think it's worth saying as well. You know, we set out the ten points of the specification, but there, there were then certain characteristics or footnotes that went with that. Which is, you know, for a lot of this, we're looking for, you know, the software industry to to build and for us to advise. I think when it comes to the data framework, where you know we're not necessarily going to be pitching one single schema. Right. You know, there there, there are many languages in in. There's going to be different man, yeah. use cases. There's going to be many languages. Yes. So there's going to be, you know, lots of different things there. But for us, I think it's critical for us as industry to be leading that conversation with, with the software industry advising. So flipping that relationship of, right. you know, leader and advisor. Um, and so you know that's the key thing. Other points being like, um, you know, I think we need to be very honest on ourselves. We we're not software developers, despite. You know, many practices having their own internal mm-hmm. developers. I think in the grand scheme, they're people tinkering.
0: Yeah. Um well there is value in an entity yeah. maintaining all of that as time goes on and making ensuring that it that it, it's up and yeah. that it works. And that is hard inside of a practice, right? Because yeah. people abandon projects, people leave yeah. offices and, and go other places and, and it, it's acknowledging to your yes. point of acknowledging what we are, where our value is, yes. where it isn't, what we're willing to pay for yeah is is i think all reinforced in that statement,
2: yeah, and uh, you know we we very much i think acknowledge you know where our strengths, where our weaknesses are, and mm-hmm. but we say we're looking to the software development community to to actually help us achieve this um we know what we want in the end, but um getting there is where we need to look to the experts quite frankly um but i think you know to to the original point i think with the data framework which you know as aaron quite rightly said is the foundation it is you know the the linchpin to all of this i think we're working through the steps of actually what that looks like as as um as an initiative going forward i Mm -hmm. think you know it's been what five months since this was presented now um there's been lots of great conversations but it's a beast to tackle, yeah. and there's a lot of people who are very enthusiastic to get involved, which is fantastic to see. But it's then corralling that into a direction, yeah. a trajectory. And that's, that's what we're working through at the moment. I think this is
0: one of the things that I've always struggled with, even with the LFRT talking about, well, let's just take take the horse by the reins and let let's yeah. do what what we can do. And it and it's like, who's the decider? Yeah, that's my question, right? Yeah. I, like. Are we, is, is one entity the decider? Is it an elected position? Is it a re- House of Representatives? Like, well, yep. is it a republic of representatives? <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. what is it? Is it a democracy? Is it a, yep. and, and it's because are we just going to vote? And, and, and I think that that is a, that's something to struggle through, right? And so I'm wondering maybe how,
1: how are you dealing with so it? So we were conscious that in order for us to then move beyond having just written something and actually uh, finding some, some value. For, for the industry going forward we uh alternated and, and and discussed with a huge group of people you know to, to to crowdsource what people felt was the next right step one of which was for example engaging with a data architect who, who kind of knew nothing about mm-hmm. our, our sphere to to Try and work out apples and pears, and apples and apples, and try and you know engage with that that uh, that language of dictionaries and and, and libraries and so on. Um, we kind of said, well, okay, whether well, we need some money to do that, we need to pay this this person. Um, do we look at sponsorship? And then, okay, what happens now when one software vendor is a platinum sponsor? To yeah, do and right. so we you know we realized there were kind of some challenges around some of those things. Um, as Andy said, we've been we've been working with some higher education entities that have got. 21 PhD students that may be available to, to, to support us and to do some work there. We've been working with building smart who let's be fair, are a commercial entity Mm -hmm. that have a great group of people that can possibly deliver out some of this with us. And so those are the things we're kind of navigating at this point in time, Mm -hmm. equally, we are updating the software vendors with what we're doing. We're not immediately saying, Hey, software vendors, come and tell us what to do because, uh, we just feel like that we're, we're going to get a very different opinion from each of those software vendors on what should be done and how it should be done. And so at, as it stands at the moment, we're kind of informing them and we're hearing their feedback mm-hmm. rather than asking them to tell us what to do and, and, and so on. Yeah. That's kind of like a crit. Right? Yeah. The, yeah. The point is like you, you, you intake all of it and then you
0: decide. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not. It's not like I'm going to do all of those things, yeah. Because there there's competing interests there, right? Yeah, it's impossible to incorporate all of it. But yeah. you have to curate those yeah. decisions as you move forward.
1: Yeah, and you know we we both have full time jobs at international firms that require quite a lot of our time, and so we've also been looking at how can we get way beyond the premise of oh, you're just a g- group of architects. So mm-hmm. we've very much been looking at putting a um, a council together of some architects, engineers, completely independent consultants who mm-hmm. deal a lot with the kind of being forced to solve the problems about information management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, again, finding its feet, um, and something that um, I'm sure will we'll kind of... Uh, yeah, five, another five months from now, there'll be you know, <laughs> a very solid piece in place. Um, nice. Yeah. Methodical,
0: keeping the momentum going, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's, all, it's all a big... keeping that energy constantly going back to why you're doing this yeah right because figuring this out as you move forward it, it is a this is like climbing Everest yeah right and if you've never climbed Everest before it's a it's quite a different experience than if you have right so that one step at a time yeah, yeah. figuring it out as you go I mean I'm, I'm rooting for what you're doing <laughs> and I'm happy to, to put it out there for sure uh, so
1: you you mentioned a little bit of call to action how can people, find out more about this where do they go yeah so um you know one of the questions we've had is what does success look like mm. you know mm. so um to some extent I would say engagement so the specification is hosted online at the moment and is available for comment um every I think eight weeks or so the the group of original authors get together to review those comments and um, sense check the contributions that have been made and in most instances I think we've, we've kind of added those thoughts and those comments. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of the call for arms, the link will be available. Go and have a look at the written specification. If you feel like there's something that's not there or not explicit, or there's an area or a topic that's not been covered, contribute because we are not gatekeepers of, you know, we're not being dictators about what is there. This is about a a continued representation of not just the architecture industry, but the entire process of us delivering, Mm -hmm. you know, built environment. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would definitely be something I would say um is the primary way for people to be involved in this. Um equally, do watch the presentation version because I think that will expand on and contextualize what is effectively written. Um and I would also suggest if anybody feels explicitly interested in in supporting this and, and helping us take this forward. Um again, there are more than just me and Andy involved in this process. There are a number of people um, and we would really like to diversify that group to ensure that we've got better representation. Um, and again, more people will have different levels of energy that can pick up some of the kind of sub of that as well.
2: Yeah. I would also say, you know, in terms of the behaviors to inform us as well, and, you know, I kind of inadvertently promoted the spec yesterday through my presentation here, but, you know, question and challenge, you know, both the way that you're working, but also the way others are working around you, because that will then start to, you know, inform the feedback that you can give to us. Challenge us as well. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we put forward 10 points as as a group of, frankly, UK architectural practices, admittedly with a lot of input from, you know, across the globe, but we may not have covered everything. So, you know, it is, you know, we are open to challenging. We have to be. It doesn't have to just be 10 points. No, yeah, exactly. Right, you know, yeah. give us an 11th or cross one of them off, whatever. It, right. If
1: we roll back 10 years, would we have been talking about NMC and automation and intelligence and AI, and no, we wouldn't have. So I think it's, uh, we have to be responsible mm. and responsive to the the trends that will occur in our industry going forward as well. So, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, you know, next time your commercial renewals coming up, the software vendor, ask them if how they are they aligned and They're with their, aligned with that. Yeah. 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 It, 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 what's interesting to me
0: about this idea, again, going back to the idea of it being on the open web. Wikipedia style. Yeah, It's a living document. It's constantly evolving. And so you could be crossing things off. You could be adding things. Uh, and as time goes on, I would hope that this document continues to address everything that people are seeing as needs in the industry. And this isn't just a one-time thing. Yeah, agreed.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. That I'm so happy that we could get together in yeah. person and and do yeah. this. It's been fantastic. And I'm excited to hear the feedback from this episode. So yeah, we'll have links to the the document, the website, Aaron's talk. And uh, I don't think there was anything else, but maybe I'll put, put ways for people to connect with you yeah. both on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm you hoping know. people can reach out to you and yep. have more conversations like this Absolutely. and help just so that
2: we can understand each other better. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. I think the more voices lending lent to this, I think, is only going to make it stronger. So absolutely, anyone's welcome. Great. Well,
0: thanks Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co and I'll talk to you again next week.